This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Welcome, uh, Viola and uh, Christian. Uh, thanks for joining us today in our episode on post-growth planning. And to begin, I'd like to ask you to briefly introduce yourselves. Hi, um, my name is Viola Schulze-Dikov. I'm a research assistant at the Faculty of Spatial Planning at TU Dortmund um, at the Department of Spatial Planning and Planning Theory. Um, but further, I'm also a freelancer and um, in the field of um, transformative action and research, and I work with associations such as the Urbanisten from Dortmund and the Wall and Space Association um, that focuses on transforming European cities with urban arts. But yeah, after two years of parental leave, my um, my first week of works at TU Dortmund started again last week, but it was very odd because I said hello to all my colleagues after two years via email. And yeah, of course, I'm very glad to be back at uni because all my freelancing work was cut off due to Corona. And now I'm in a situation where I work with two kids in the age of two and five at home in the home office. And Yeah, because there's a lockdown um, from the 22nd of March until to now, until now in Germany. And yeah, our kids, we can't go to the playgrounds. We can't really go outside. We are okay as a family, but yes, that's the situation we are at. So it's, it's work, it's kids, and it's all in private rooms, mainly organized. And yeah, that's, that's my background, my situation currently. In the Department of Spatial Planning and Environment there. Uh, working on roles in planning, on post-growth planning, on regional perspectives and on leadership in sustainable transformations. Uh, usually I would be in Groningen teaching, working there. Now I'm in Germany near Heidelberg with my girlfriend. Um, since you know, five, five weeks now, came back with students from with an excursion from Belgrade on the 15th of March. The day after the whole university shut down, I was not in my office since then. Um, and the universities do online learning, online teaching, online education, basically over just a weekend in mid-March. And uh, we assume to get back to regular teaching um, with having students at university in September. So it's a weird situation working in the Netherlands, now being in Germany, sitting in the kitchen here and uh, talking to you but it's also impressive to see how this all works. So we're going to talk about the um, Corona situation in a bit uh, in, in greater detail. Uh, the topic of our discussion today is um, post-growth planning as a perspective, as an approach. Uh, and I would like you to talk us through what is pe peculiar about this field or this approach. Yeah, we came up with a very short definition a couple of months ago. So for very brief terms, post-growth planning is a planning in which growth is neither a necessary starting point nor a goal that must be achieved. So thereby planning, planning of spaces that does not that does work on change but not on growth. So a planning that works on the quality of life but not with more of the same growth solutions and one in which planners engage and motivate. So that's a rather broad definition or starting point. 
to think about post-growth and planning um, because there is not such an established field of post-growth planning, but there's a number of different perspectives on post-growth available, most prom prominently from economy. You may know Kate Roberts' Donut Economy, Tim Jackson's famous book on prosperity without growth and the strong international degrowth movement. Um, but there are also great ideas from sociology, for example, Hartmut Rosa's work on resonance and acceleration and time, and from psychology. In Germany, Hartmut Belzer, older works internationally from Erich Fromm and others, especially focusing on the inner question. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, what Christian, like she, he gave us this brief uh, definition of what we understand as post-growth planning. And then he pointed out that um, there's um, yeah, provenant uh, endeavors from different um, fields of research, like from economy and psychology and psychology, um, where research and activism is quite strong on degrowth and on post-growth. So um, 2016, we sat together with some spatial planners and we were discussing about why there's not such a big scene, not, not research, no activism in the field of spatial planning in regards to um, post-growth or degrowth. So starting in these days, we try to yeah, do some activities um, with other researchers to uh, talk about yeah, what can uh, degrowth and post-growth theory mean to spatial planning. And since then, we did a lot of presentations, um, networking on different levels in Germany, like the um, Akademie für Raumentwicklung der Leibniz-Gemeinschaft and, for example, with the TU Weimar that work on the post-growth city and some other initiatives and people from, from Holland or um, Portugal. And we try to figure out what can um, post-growth theory and action mean to spatial planning. And we came around with six propositions of post-growth planning. So our um, uh, propositions were it's um, first post-growth planning needs new criteria for success as a basis for action. The second is uh, post-growth planning means just and democratic decisions. Third, Post-growth planning triggers major transformations through small-scale interventions. Fourth, post-growth planning needs experimental and artistic actions. And fifth, post-growth planning must learn from failures. And post-growth planners are all of us. So this is post-growth planning and the key ideas um, for Christian and me and like some people that yeah work with us in the collective of, of post-growth planning. I had a, a follow-up question. Um, just in, in, in general terms, how would you situate uh, post-growth planning politically as a political project? Is it is it anti-capitalist? Is it radical? Is it reformist? I mean, you touched on a, a few ideas there, talking about small steps leading to bigger changes. Um, how would you characterize uh, uh, the politics of, of this movement or this, this academic uh, literature? Like we, we always said, we, we are um, yeah, engaging for a planning this is, which is growth independent. And that's probably the most important for us. So growth independent for planning not just means not going, not just 
planning for big companies and their like not just for um, capitalism, but also it means that big cities don't um, should not just plan for more people that live there for more infrastructure, regardless of the quality. So I'm not sure we always try to avoid <laughs> go into like a direct, like one um, political directions. Like we get lots of questions asked by the left probably, um, for example. But for us, it's um, yeah important that it's just growth independent. This is why we use the word post growth and not degrowth. So that's also why you asked the question later, whether it's a, or like you, you said, it's a uh, degrowth situation right now. But for us, it's more like an active it's not not a degrowth situation that we would like to have because it's very cruel and not not a political agenda what we have now for us it's more like an active yeah freeing ourselves as a planner to just work for more and more and more in cities and um, regardless the quality that you have that comes with a more and more yeah and we especially yeah. look look from within planning so um we are we are both spatial planners so uh, we are not just not thinking about radical alternative social or economic models but we are thinking about how to reform planning because we think there's lots of potential there's lots of things that could be different and we are looking for what could what does this post-growth perspective deliver us to change planning to reform planning it might lead to a very different planning, but uh, we also think, especially if you think to today's crisis, like the corona crisis, that there is a need to connect to um, urgent actions um, and not only about delivering a very radical alternative, um, because there is always losers and change, and um, we find it difficult to think about a model to put forward um, without thinking to um, the losers that it might produce. You, when, when describing um, post-growth planning, you were um, primarily uh, referring to academics or, or, or authors. Um, is there also um, a particular case, an exemplary case, um, that you would point to to say, okay, this um, showcases uh, post-growth planning in reality. There is a number. There is a number of smaller, smaller niches, smaller in uh, spatial or in time aspects that um, show parts of post-growth um, and show a direction where we all might think together. Part of that is the transition town movement. There are many initiatives around that. There are many urban commons, many different ways how small neighborhoods organize in collectives, um, in cooperatives, to find different ways to organize their, their communities and organize also their communal spaces. And that's a starting point to think through um, how we can find just uh, more just and more democratic decisions together. Could you say yeah. a few more words on the transition town movement? Yeah, transition towns, uh, if you think about the transition towards more sustainable modes of living, uh, towards long-term living within ecological limits, uh, then transition towns are the ones on the forefront trying uh, these new models of living, of uh, working together 
usually so far in small communities, um, really trying to live according to uh, other ideals than uh, economic growth, for example. Yeah, I was also working on the Cheetah Slow movement, which is a movement that works for um, small to medium-sized cities. And it started um, in Italy and it uh, trans translates the um, criteria of the slow food movements to the development of small and medium-sized cities. And it's also a network that works on the global level, which is quite interesting. And they mm, thought about different criteria for these types of cities uh, to develop in, an, yeah, in a sustainable way, which is a very interesting agenda, I think. And it's also another example is the ja, Gemeinwohlökonomie from Felber. And there's also one, um, one smallish city in Bavaria. It's called Kirchhanschöring. And I think they also try to do different types of planning and using different type of criteria to develop their, um, their spaces. So I think there are a few examples, but it's also like post-growth planning. It's just recently being put on the agenda, like last year in Germany, there were two big, big conferences on the agenda to also not just talk about this in a, in a, in a niche. It was more likely to be put onto a mainstream talk. And so the, the, the debates just started last year and this year where we we're supposed to have so many talks about it. But unfortunately, because of Corona, some things, stopped and maybe but maybe they will be transferred to digital formats but um, yeah the discussion also with the like the the mainstream planners is uh, currently um, there <laughs> it's right there but it's uh, yeah examples of how you implement the whole idea into practice is um, about to be developed now um, moving on how how do you think this uh, this concept uh, this the beginnings of this movement um, can help us to understand the COVID situation, uh, particularly in terms of what's happening now, and but also uh, thinking in terms of moving forwards and out of the uh, uh, COVID nineteen situation. Uh, yeah, that's uh, rather challenging because yeah, no one really understands the current situation, nor do we. But as planners and also as uh, people, communities who started to uh, think differently about space, we should talk and we can talk about our observations and also our shared worries um, and about potential futures that we see now and discuss them together. And also to look on two different times. So one is the time right now, maybe the next weeks, month, a year, where we have restrictions according to Corona. And the second time frame, what will be the long-term future? So we really see how interrelated processes are now, how interwoven they are, and also how much our basic services like water, food, mobility, and local productions are not a, not a given. They are just the work of many and often low-income workers, um, and especially women in many cases. So um, the impacts of corona are, are unevenly distributed and we see very in very obvious terms how much we all relate upon each other. Um, and first of all, we do not know how the situation develops, but it's our task to 
discuss potentials and to keep that discussion alive also in spatial terms. Viola, do you want to add something? Um, or maybe <clears throat> I can uh, uh, make make the question more precise. What do you see as uh, the potentials that uh, Christian spoke about from this post-growth perspective? I think um, the great potential of the post-growth perspective is um, what that it gives hope for for the current situation and maybe yeah hope to some people maybe also it's um because there's this debate about um yeah maybe some bit like you your uh, podcast that you had before it's um about um a group of people that kind of in not enjoy but um for who the situation is not as hard as to others so maybe um Post-growth planning is giving giving some hope uh, to people that were um, linked to these kind of ideas, anyways. But also maybe to other people who who kind of feel some sense in 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 the situation right now, saying, "All right, we as a society weren't um, living sustainable before, so now we have the chance to to do it differently." Um, realizing the the yeah, drastic um, effects that we have right now and the change in all behaviors and and all this so in this very yeah very dramatic situation right now where you also see the, the injustice in space and in the social like in the social spheres that are even getting worse like when it comes to homeschooling like you had in the previous uh, discussion but also in uh, homeless, in like in regards to questions to homeless people and many more people that um, are on the agenda, agenda or maybe aren't even on the agenda because we don't see them in the digital spaces and elsewhere. So yeah, the, like post growth planning can give hope and can give some some future direction, but also we have like, like some major topics right now that we really have to handle like also that's why we also like your idea of talking about post-corona because now there's different action needed than there is needed uh, like action needed in the future but it's good to start talking about um yeah the future right now as well i think it's uh it's also very important and that's where uh, post-growth planning might uh, give give help to direct future actions like if it's not the the financial support that's given right now but maybe also for future developments in in economy future planning of cities like how how can we how do we have to in the future recognize these kind of challenges and what do they mean like the distance the physical distance by keeping social closeness this is a very interesting question but also um yeah, what kind of density uh, do we want to have and what does this how can all this affect um how people would like to live but it can go either way like right now we kind of like when we talk about it it's always like it can go either way right now there's so many different ways that could happen we don't know how long this whole situation lasts 
like in my surrounding, I could feel like sometimes you're like, okay, this will end soon. And then other days you're like, no, this will go for a long, long time. So it's, um, yeah, post-birth planning can give hope for like in the future going towards um, a more sustainable way of living regarding climate change. But then I have a, my brother, he's working in the travel industry and they just did a very interesting poll on how people would like to travel in the future. And he's uh, he's the head of uh, Olaf's Tracker. And um, yeah, what they discovered that people would love to fly mainly out of Europe as soon as or as quick as possible. And this is yeah the other side of the medal. So yeah, where we go in future, it's very hard to say, but. Um, it, it, it'll be good to um, keep the like also keep the climate crisis and other challenges uh, challenges in our heads um, and um, try to combine them for future planning directions. Also, like SDGs, Paris agreements, there are lots of uh, agreements already made. So if we yeah, if we take action now, we can also rely on these um, criteria and these agreements, and I think this would help a lot. I, well, I was wondering if you could uh, clarify um, how this this concept of paradigm uh, um, deals with the need to to generate wealth. I mean, generally, you know, the the idea of uh, the economy at the moment um, is to generate wealth to, uh, through growth, um, and that's embraced to a lesser extent, uh, or, or more or less, by um, most of the political parties, even left of centre, right of centre. Um, and if we think about what will happen as we come out of the COVID situation, you can mm-hmm. imagine there's going to be a huge demand for for growth, for wealth generation. Um, so to imagine a situation in which that could be transformed into something new, i.e. post post-growth, the post-growth city or post-growth economy. Um, how, how could, what's the argument that you can make about generating enough wealth without growing the city or growing the economy? Yeah, I think we see quite lively discussion in these days about what wealth means for our society and how we can measure that wealth. So part of our wealth is our health. So um, it does not connect to economic terms. So, of course, we need a system that allows us to keep our health, that allows us for recovery uh, if we get an illness like corona, but also others. But part of what we value now is very local, is connected to our neighborhood and cannot be captured in these economic GDP terms, for example. If you homeschool your children, that's not part of the GDP. If you do shopping for your neighbor, There's a part of the GDP edit, you do shopping, but the support to your neighbor is not covered by that. If you help others in such a situation, that's not covered. So part of what we believe as wealth in our society is not economic. And we increasingly see that. And as planners, we will have to care for ways to deal with weird situations coming up in the future, like the Netherlands started to talk about the 1.5 meter society as a potential new normal. And as a planner, I find it rather weird to think about a perspective where we plan public spaces as spaces of 
encounter of community, of collective togetherness, of living in diversity in small neighborhoods, like also put forward by many uh, post-growth um, activists. And at the same time, keeping distance. So designing spaces where you meet, but where you still keep distance. So um, that's a very weird situation and that will be difficult to deal with um, for planners, I'm sure for, for a longer time, how to manage that kind of balance and to think through how we will continue to live and plan in space. And again, that's not connected to economic terms and to wealth and GDP measure, measures. I would like to briefly add something because there was this new publication from the Wuppertal Institute uh, from, I think it was from publicated yesterday. And it said, and it, I think that's um, like, that's this, like kind of the story in 2008 during the financial crisis, um, we said uh, system relevance uh, is banking and financial institutes. When it comes down to the climate crisis, we always uh, talk about um, the um, car industry when it comes down to uh, system relevance. And now it's uh, totally different. Like now it's uh, system relevant is public spaces. It's all public uh, institutes. It's, it's education. It's um, yeah, our health institutes, it's health goods. And if the story has changed, like the narrative has changed and the also the narrative of wealth I think throughout the world as well like it's it's a perspective it's a global perspective that comes all the way down through neighborhoods because I think our world is very unjust and there's so many problems and they they are very challenging and now we always talk about corona but I think for now like maybe we all kind of being treated very similar for the first time like everyone or like in so many places there is a lockdown people have to stay at home everywhere it has totally co complete consequences like it's totally different situations in africa or in india and it's like i'm in my place with 100 square meters are quite lucky a very lucky person but when it comes yeah i think when we talk about wealth and it's always been like it's scientifically to me it's scientifically proven that wealth doesn't go one in one with the gdp or with money that you have like it goes for a time but then i think tim jackson has given a quite good um yeah agenda why why from a certain point it's not uh going aligned anymore and i think the story that we have now and where we put focus on on different things throughout the whole society, maybe we don't lose this these words anymore and this idea of um, yeah what's really really necessary when it comes all the way down to to being healthy and being being yeah happy. And to to add to that, it might not be that easy to just get back to where we've been before. So um, the world might have might have changed. No. And our thinking might have changed in a way that just getting back to the ideas that we had so far of how to boost economic success, even in GDP terms, like putting people together in dense places, in great internationally connected places, in large cities. Um, it's exactly the places um, 
that we, some of us even fear today to meet with different foreign people to get new ideas. Uh, so the density that creates creativity now becomes suspicious. And I think we have to work through that from any perspective. And that's a good starting point then to think through where do we actually want to go then? So there is no simple way of, uh, of getting back. We can think in different directions. And one of those is post-growth uh, in very radical terms. Others are more, mo more moderate. Uh, but it's not deciding against uh, getting back to normal because getting back to the normal that we knew until last year is not like switching switching um, a button and then, then we are back. Uh, even one or two months of lockdown are too long to just switch that button. So we will have to make some adjustments. Just, I mean, I think you, you have mentioned um, some examples of post-growth planning places and some of the ideas. If we are thinking that, you know, if we can't go back to uh, normal, um, how would we then uh, imagine uh, a kind of idealized post-growth city? What kind, of, what kind of features does it have? How could it, how could it provide a vision uh, uh, to take us out of the, the COVID situation? What kind of things happen? What kind of practices? What kind of policies uh, would we see in, in, in this city? Yeah, so I, I think what we can also learn from now, which is what is really important and also goes along with the um, post-growth ideas is to localize consumption and production, like to go more into the regions and really like take, take what's there and connect what's there. And um, this is, uh, I think, one, one important thing. The other important thing is uh, to look on our patterns of mobility like there are cities right now which close down um, streets uh, to give give way to uh, pedestrians and cyclists. Like I'm, I live in Dortmund, and it's very hard to keep or to yeah to to get this physical distance uh, between you and another person that you meet on the pedestrian or sidewalk, <laughs> and you mainly have to walk on the street with some other cars and. I think um yeah we can we can like give more way to the alternative mobilities and transportation modes and um yeah do a lot of of a lot of um try a lot of new ways to move move alternatively in the city and then um yeah what you recognize now it's like it's not like um, you only like now you only you don't only have the enabling state for community initiatives. Like now you can kind of see a very yeah leading state, but you also have a quite vivid um, community organization. So maybe we could think a bit more also in this direction. Like how can we combine like a very strong state and state decisions, but also a very vivid um, community organization. When it comes to yeah to consumption to production to um, caring for elderly for people that need need help but also for cultural events and cultural economy and the um, local local urban production and economy so I think this is what we have to do now anyways because there that's the only way how we can go through this crisis but also some things are very helpful to 
yeah maybe to to discuss don't lose uh, don't lose way and um maybe keep some of this and even look back reflect upon it and um think about how we can sustain a few things and further development uh, and further develop it for like for a post growth city yeah also for me it's rather difficult to imagine the one post growth city actually i would say that counteracts the ideal ways of thinking about post growth to have the one fits all model i guess the diversity in society can only mean that there will be a diversity of post growth cities with rather different um expressions in spatial terms and in ways how they organize what we definitely need to do is to cut off some extremes of past years like over tourist uh, to over tourism many of the short distance flights maybe we just do not need that but we also have to avoid getting back to the very local uh, to erect new borders so we are a european we are a global society uh, that should care for the society and for the environment as, as a whole so um, it's part of a combination to think through about circular aspects circular economy more circular modes of living at local scales while still connecting in solidarity uh, to global issues and to our global society so um, i'm pretty sure it can only be successful if we find a good way to combine both so not to retreat to uh, our very small narrow uh, spaces our neighborhoods but to stay connected uh, to work on a different balance using maybe more digital tools but maybe also slower travel other means of in enjoying our surroundings um, but still um, keep an eye for our connectedness and in any place keep an eye for the disadvantaged like if we stay at home that's a very good position to not to look at homeless people not to look at people sitting uh, um, lonely at home not at people who are functional or fully illiterate and just cannot read if we write something on online and some children who try a uh, struggle to um, get their education elderly people who struggle to be left behind so um, that's important to keep that in mind that today in corona times but especially afterwards do not exclude these people but um, actively search for them actively look for them and care for them yeah that was a great final word uh, christian um, thank you also very much uh, viola i think we uh, we covered a lot of ground and i i feel i learned a lot about uh, post growth planning and what uh, your endeavors are so good luck with your future research and practice and Glad uh, you, you took the time uh, to talk to us. Thanks to you for listening. For more information, visit our website urbanpolitical.podigy.io Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.